0: Hey Amanda, good morning. Let me put you on the speaker. Oh, I think you should be the moderator yep. already, right? I'm
1: here. Good morning.
0: Peter. <laughs> good morning. How are you?
1: I'm I'm good. I was just I was just doing some cramming before the show.
0: That that is uh, that that is great. That's great. I actually just uh, take a sneak peek of your uh, live streaming yesterday in some kind of a. Uh, uh, Demonstration for the union? Yeah. For the yeah. railway workers, so that, right?
1: That was for the Let's healthcare see. workers. I was on the picket line with the mental healthcare workers. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Nice, nice. It. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Thank you again for, you know, invite, uh, accepting my invitation. Well, thank uh,
1: you for asking me.
0: I, uh, because uh, it's actually, it's uh, it makes perfect sense because uh, I always wanted a, a women to join the discussion with the the DOPS decision. And uh, actually I got, I think a couple of callers, women callers about the DOPS decision. And then I I think one day you called in and you bring up this uh, concept of uh, uh, crowdsourcing a revolution. And I was like, yeah, that actually could be a good uh, match of the situation a possible solution for it. So that's why I was I need to ask her to be part of today's episode. So thank you again.
1: Sure, I'm grateful. I'm I'm assuming that it's going to be similar format. You're going to give a little thing at the beginning and then and then we'll go into discussion. Yes?
0: Yes. Uh except that you will be pretty much uh part of it. Uh, but uh one segment is totally yours because I will be okay. the student. I want you to give us <laughs> a question because uh, what I miss once this. Remember you and I actually talk about the I, uh, ERA?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, because uh, I have told you back then I was like, I'm aware of the I, uh, ERA. Uh, I was against it uh, in the past. But since the Dobbs decision, I find out that to be a necessary Now, as of today, for the reason I invite you is that I think now ERA has become a necessary revolutionary tool for the women to take back their rights. So that's one segment I actually want you to give us a a, a talking about what ERA has been. And uh, you and I then can bounce ideas of why ERA now become a must-have. For women's, if they all really want to overturn uh, the Dobbs decision, or, or ca- have a countermeasure against the, the Dobbs decision,
1: yeah, that's great. I look forward to. I look forward to this.
0: Great. So basically, uh, today's episode I have separated as uh, introduction of Amanda Rice, and then introduction of today's uh, episode. Uh, that's actually the original title of today's episode about when judicial white privileges celebrate themselves. But now I have demoted that, it will be only just segment which I'm going to talk about the recent comments out of the Supreme Court justices, including Justice uh, Chief Roberts, Justice Gorsuch, and Justice uh, Kagan. And then the next segment is about, I call it the people's history of the 14th Amendment. That's not what those uh, lawyers or law professors or these justices told you it's actually quite different and the next segment is about about the, this uh Senator Lindsey Graham's bill to make abortion a federal crime uh I mean you probably heard about it and i
1: did, uh, did. you did
0: right <laughs> so see it's all all these will come together. <laughs> Segment four is an amended segment. It will be the ERA's ratification. Can that be a revolutionary campaign for women's equality rights? Because now all of a sudden it became extremely relevant. And there's a reason, which is explained in the prior segment. And then, you know, lastly, I'm just going to do a quick conclusion. So that's how uh, I'm going to organize this. But Amanda, feel free to join in, you know, in the, any. A uh, preceding uh, segment. Thank uh, you, you know, and I,
1: I do have a, I do have a question about the Dobbs decision and some, some one of the potential implications. But we'll get there. I'm sure.
0: Okay, great. So we'll start uh, with Amanda. As a matter of fact, I want to have a quick introduction to uh, have Amanda to introduce herself about her show called the Crowdsourcing the Revolution. Uh, again, I have a briefly talk about how. Amanda and I get to know each other, but I actually don't know enough about Amanda and myself, uh, so Amanda, the floor is yours. Uh, please uh, introduce yourself and your show
1: oh, thank you thank you, Peter and I appreciate the invitation to be here today. I discovered you on call in because I am perpetually up very early. I live in California, which is one of the reasons why i have been tuning into your show. I also find it very interesting. You give an interesting perspective on um, on looking at judicial white privilege, and I appreciate the shows you've been on. More about me, um, I showed up on call-in as a result of Brianna Joy Gray and have branched out from listening and calling in on her shows to some of the other folks in that general orbit, Um, And started my own show because it's super easy on call in to start a show and I called it crowdsourcing the revolution Because I think that democracy requires all of us doing a part and If I can find some people that want to use the resources that I'm pulling together or help have people that want to Help me pull resources together. So we don't all have to reinvent the wheel in all of our little local revolutions we're needing so that's kind of why I'm doing it, and I really appreciate the um, open-minded ideas and thinking that happens in that in that space. Uh, it comes out on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and uh, please go ahead and check it out and subscribe if you like it. Thanks for the time, Peter. Why don't you give a little history of yourself? Because I don't know much about you. Can you give just a little two-second introduction?
0: Sure, sure. I'll do that. Uh, actually, uh, coming from the same uh, uh, experience that you had, uh, because uh, I wanted uh, initially, I actually, this is back in 2016, uh, I wanted to do a show for Asian Americans, especially Chinese Americans, to have a bilingual call-in program, talking about the, the racial discrimination in the workplace and uh, more importantly how to deal with it, and. Uh, uh, that you know, it's really on the back burner because uh, back in 2016, that's where I have heard enough about this thing called the white privilege being a cultural behavioral phenomenon. The more I look at it, I said, "No, it's a more of a governmental and legal structure. Uh, it's not a. It should not be a light treated, treat lightly." Uh, so I, I started want to do this right. So. So I got an opportunity and I have the money to work with uh, different attorneys and talking about this idea. So I got quite some, you know, criticism and support. And, uh, of course, as call in became available, I said, boy, this is perfect. I don't want to show my face. I want I don't want to show my true identity because this is a very controversial topic. And, uh, you know, for example, my my supervisor has always been a white person. And uh, currently, my entire work group, fourteen people working in the you know healthcare analytics, they all happen to be Caucasian, believe it or not. But this is a southern company located in the southern part of the United States, so I can understand to have a all-white team except me, who are in the you know crunching numbers. Because I thought Asians are pretty good in crunching numbers too. So, so long story short is that I found a calling <laughs> to be a uh, again, I hold no prejudice against any people for because of their color, creed, sexual orientation whatsoever. No, I have no interest in doing those. So I'll also assure is that I found a calling is a great platform to me to have a you know meaningful conversation. Plus, I do want to uh, collaborate with a, a number of lawyers to publish this book called uh, Judicial White Privilege, the People's History of uh, American Jurisprudence uh so therefore, you know i was I want to keep a track of my ideas what should be covered, so it can be more than what the book can cover, but it, at least I'm, I might get my train of thoughts documented uh maybe uh, uh criticized and uh or, or bounced with other folks like you amanda, so that in a nutshell, is how I come up with this particular show. It's not a race passion show. It's a totally uh, legal list uh, uh, going by the constitution, the law, and the treatment of especially racial minorities. Uh, in Bob's case, the women by the court. So that, in a nutshell, the uh, how I came come about with show.
1: That's really interesting. So can you, can you do me one quick favor? Would you teach me how to say hello in Chinese? Because I don't even know how to do that.
0: <laughs> Niha. So this ni hao. is Mandarin Chinese. hǎo Uh hǎo uh, Mandarin hao. Chinese. Yes. Okay. Mandarin Chinese. Uh got it. Uh-huh. thank you. <laughs> you a lot can of, teach
1: me more as we as we move along. <laughs> I
0: appreciate,
1: it. I, appreciate <laughs> it. I should I should also, I like to when I learn any words in a language, I like to learn please and thank you and hello. Uh
0: y- yes, yes, absolutely.
1: Because uh, if you know nothing else, those three things can really help.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of my hobby is watching uh, the, some YouTubers. They are interracial couples, international couples, being uh-huh. like a Chinese married out to Europe, a European married into China. So uh-huh. they have some fascinating intercultural exchange. And uh, so I don't want to... I, I, I enjoy those because uh, as a matter of cool. fact... Uh, this morning, earlier, when I woke up, I watched this a French couple, the guy, husband being from China, the wife uh, from uh, uh, France, they live in Paris. So the funny part is this. The husband is from a pro- province of China. So the wife, who speaks Chinese, fluent Chinese, has a very heavy accent from that province. As a matter of fact, sh- her Chinese is so heavily... Uh, you know non-standard because of the, her accent her own children who speak standard mandarin laugh at her their own mother saying your pronunciation is wrong in chinese i was laughing because uh because this is those cultural exchange things that uh straight, uh it's it's hilarious so but anyway we Sorry, digress right that, so
1: yes, yes, yes. no that's yes, all right yes. that's
0: all good It's a Sunday morning conversation. You know, we're very relaxed. By the way, whoever wants to call in, you're more than welcome, okay? So I want to uh, get started with introduction. When judicial white privileges celebrate themselves, it's like a self-promotion, like everybody else. I don't blame them. Mainstream media always promote themselves. You know, politicians always promote themselves. The judges and justice always promote themselves. So a few things happened the past week chief Judge, uh, Justice Roberts made a, a, a speech in Colorado on the in the i think in the tenth it's a it's a tenth circuit court uh some kind of a seminar or whatever so he complained that because of Dobbs' decision, people are questioning the legitimacy of the court in its authority to interpret it. The Constitution. That is extremely misleading because we the people never question the fact that the president is the commander-in-chief. We never question the Supreme Court has the highest authority to interpret the Constitution. We just have a problem when the court does not follow the Constitution. Then this Chief Justice Roberts Brag about his uh, extrajudicial privilege, meaning that things he can do outside the court. He brag about he's on the board with the Smithsonian Institution, where he got to touch those uh, historic items in the museum, including the robe of Justice John Jay, I believe who is the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. So he does not talk about his lousy product of his work, but he talks about his uh, extrajudicial activities. All right, and the sec- and the lastly, they congratulate themselves on Brown v. Board of Education decision, because the Brown v. Board of Education was decided along the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal. So I guess the host of that seminar gave a chief justice some kind of a mural, a replica of a mural, celebrating Brown versus Board of Education. On that mural, in the background, is the building of the U.S. Supreme Court. So this, this is what I'm saying: the court always congratulate itself, promote itself as if they are the ju- send, they they are the place where justice was rendered when in fact, it's the opposite. Okay, so I want to get that. So after he came out, after Chief Roberts came out, uh, I think in the same seminar, Justice Gorsuch talked about the, the leaker investigation. Remember that? The leaker investigation. Once again, Gorsuch, I highly respect him, but he got it wrong. In my prior episode, I already said the leaker of a Dobbs draft, he did he or she did not commit a crime. I have said, first of all, the, the justice, chief justice Roberts never had authority to order invest a criminal investigation of that leaker because first, there's no federal statute or DC statute saying leaking a Supreme Court j- j- draft is a crime. You have to have a law saying that's a crime to start an investigation. You don't. Second, the original jurisdiction of a crime starts with the trial court. In this case, it has to be in the district court in DC or the local court in District of Columbia. saying there's a crime being violated, here's the perpetrator, So the search warrant investigation can only be ordered by a trial court. And I forgot what's the last one. The three things, all these are the simple, basic principle of American legal system. But believe it or not, the highest court, these two justices, Gorsuch and the robbers, do do not know that. They actually believe they can have a U.S. marshal to ask for everybody's cell phone put them under some kind of a deposition by a federal marshal. They do not have the authority to do that because only the trial court has the authority. So so they do not even know that. With that said, Justice Kagan came out and she did a, a rebuttal of a Chief Justice Roberts' claim that somehow the public is questioning the legitimacy of the US Supreme Court. Justice Kagan jumped right to it, and which I'm going to read through it, uh, a quarter. He said, quote, when courts became extensions of the political process, comma, when people see them as extensions of the political process, comma, when people see them as trying just to impose personal preference on a society irrespective of the law, that's when there is a problem and that's when there ought to be a problem, end quote. So what Justice Kagan said is exactly what this show is all about. The court, the justice system in this country has always been a political tool. Mostly it's to oppress those who are producing the wealth. The lab, to grab the land from the Native Americans, it's legally approved by the courts. To take slaves from Africa, it's legally approved, and all this good stuff, right? So once again, these judicial white privileges, they are, they are, they are masterful in promoting themselves, even when they did a very, very lousy decision, even when they violated the Constitution, Themselves, so that is one thing, you know. I I I I want to talk about as an introduction, uh, and it was the name of this. Uh, it was the title of today's episode. And then find out, I got far more important things to talk about, which Amanda will will talk about. So what I want to say is this: since the Dobbs decision, the justices from the U.S. Supreme Court has been attacking each other outside the courtroom. Does that make you feel good? I hope not. Right? And I hope you now find out, yes, it is entirely okay for you, for me, for we the people, to question the legitimacy of the court's reasoning, how they get to these lousy conclusions, such as the Dobbs decision. So with that, that's the first segment I want to talk about. Any comments you want to Add here.
1: Okay, nope, not, thank you for okay. that. Thank you for that no. s- summary. Sorry, I had to, it took me a second to get to my mute button.
0: No worry, no worry whatsoever. Uh, by the way, guys, uh, I actually, sooner when the weather is cooler, I'm gonna do like a walk and talk uh, when I'm doing these uh, uh, shows because I find out it can be very good too. So I'm going to go to the next segment, segment one, the people's history of the 14th Amendment. The real history of the 14th Amendment is uh, hidden from you by these uh, judicial propagandists. That include the bar associations because they are the trade association for lawyers. They have, you know, they basically, bar association is similar to unions in Amazon. In Walmart or teachers union, okay? They're just a trade group. They promote their self-interest, right? So they want to make sure the general public have a place of blind trust in our justice system, okay? So they always celebrate the court Brown v. Board of Education, like I said earlier, being celebrated again, giving a mural to the chief justice when what he did, his own court did, is a violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. So. I'm going to talk about the people's history of the 14th Amendment. First of all, the 14th Amendment is called War Amendments. The 13th and 14th, I believe the 15th Amendment, all three amendments are War Amendments. What does War Amendment mean? It means like a treaty between two parties that just fought a war. It's a serious stuff, okay? Treaties, nations fought each other. Someone, sometimes both uh, win win one lose Sometimes it is even. And then they sign a treaty. War amendments is made, including the 14th Amendment, is made during the circumstances that federal troops, the Union Army, stationed in the southern states and it's only after this war amendments was approved and ratified the federal troops withdraw from the southern states just remember that first war amendments similar to about over 400 treaties that US government signed with the native americans my, my I'm not expert on that but my understanding is that US government have never honored even one of the over 400 treaties signed with the Native Americans. So now let's come back to these War Amendments. What happened to the 14th Amendment? It was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court in Plassey versus Ferguson. Is that right? So Plassey versus Ferguson established separate but equal doctrine. So, it's by the U.S. Supreme Court's decision that these War Amendments is entirely overturned. First, why this no? Why I uh, why I do not treat Brown v. Board of Education much of achievement by the courts? Which, by the way, Brown v. Board of Education probably is being praised as the highest achievement of the courts. Why I? Don't believe that's the case because the Brown v. Board of Education is overturning Placis versus Ferguson. So it actually took about 75 years for the US Supreme Court to correct its own mistakes. Think of that way. So, in other words, if today women don't do anything, just let history take its course. It's going to take 75 years for Dobbs' decision to be overturned. Think of that.
1: Well, it took 50 years for the Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Now, I have said in my past episode, Roe v. Wade is decided by five justices who are appointed by Republicans. So these fight justice in Roe v. Wade. You cannot say they are not conservative enough. You cannot say they don't belong to the federal society, right? You cannot say these people are not, uh, 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 uh Christians, by any imagination. All right, and uh, so, so, so going back to this uh, people's history of torturement, In other words. The 14th Amendment, the court must recognize, but it refused to. And it's trying to hide that fact that it's the U.S. Supreme Court who overturned the 14th Amendment, which is a war amendment, meaning it's a treaty. If you lose in a battle, you sign to agree with the term of that treaty. And the U.S. government, the U.S., the Supreme Court overturned it for the benefit of the white majoritarian democracy, right? Am I right so far? So so that's that. Now, how it relates to women now, okay? Here here comes the, you know, so Brown v. Board of Education is also a 14th Amendment case. We probably all agree. It's overturning the Plassey versus Ferguson, right? So you will think now we established, but here's another question. The war amendments for the 14th Amendment is is specifically made to protect black people, okay? It's not enacted to protect Chinese. It's not enacted to protect women. It's not enacted to protect Puerto Ricans or the Japanese. As I have talked about in a past episode about the insular cases, which is mistreating discriminating against Puerto Ricans. I've said about the Cori decision, again, by the U.S. Supreme Court. These court decisions, horrible, horrible court decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court is totally in violation of the 14th Amendment rights of these racial minorities. Understandably so, because of the 14th Amendment, believe it or not, it is enacted for the blacks, not for the women. Here comes the some story. Now, I heard this again. This is in the past week. This uh Supreme Court reporter uh, by the name of Nina Totenberg. She appeared on the uh uh, uh 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 Stephen Colbert show on CBS. She told uh you know she talked about a story when she interviewed the uh, Justice uh Ruth uh Ruth uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg RPG where she was still at the law school, a law school professor. And uh, back then, RBG told uh, Nina Todenberg that she believed the 14th Amendment covers the equal rights, equality rights of women also. That's RBG's opinion. I'm not disagreeing with her or agree with her. I'm just laying out these facts. But that at least explained to me is this. RBG at least acknowledged that Fourteenth Amendment. At its initial enactment is covers only the black people, but it should be used to cover the equality rights of women. Right? So at least she had brought up that argument. Therefore, it, I want to bring in this ERA. Equal uh uh Amanda, you have to tell me ERA stands for Equal Rights Amendment, is that right?
1: Equal Rights Amendment. Equal Uh, Rights Amendment, yes.
0: Okay, so ERA is specifically declared for equal treatment of women under the Constitution. Like I told Amanda in my past episode, I actually initially is against that uh, uh, effort because I thought mistakenly that the 14th Amendment should have already covered women. Apparently not, right? So the Dobbs decision shows more about it. But I want you to bring up some serious legal histories. And this is not, I didn't make it up. Again, everything I said here is based on what the Supreme Court said or what the Supreme Court justice said. I didn't make this up, okay? The uh, As we know, the 14th Amendment is a federal law. So whether any Fourteenth Amendment cases can be called federal questions, right? If you go back to see watch the Justice Anthony Scalia interview on CNN with uh, by Pierce Morgan, he's uh, I respect this two justices a lot, uh, RBG and uh, Anthony Scalia, because they have a it's called highest judicial intellect. Okay, they actually have the brain and the effort to do the hard work. Being a judge is a hard work. Okay, so Scalia basically saying abortion issue belongs to the state. It's not a federal question. I disagree with him. I disagree with Scalia. I believe it's a federal question in my past episode, uh, uh, as I as I mentioned. Uh, and because the HIPAA is also a federal law. And uh, so going back to this, it seems to me both RBG and the Scalia would have agreed if they're still alive today. Boy, I wish both of them were alive today. They actually can make a adopt decision more reasonable, okay? They actually will have a really, really meaningful legal debate, constitutional debate, what's going on here, okay? And we can tell RBG will insist the Dobbs decision is a federal question, must be decided by a federal court. Okay, Justice Scalia will debate. Oh, this is not a federal question; it should be sent back to the state. Guess what? The the uh, the 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 the, the Alito majority in Dobbs decision did exactly what uh, Scalia has predicted. They basically saying women. We're not taking away your rights. We're just saying this question is a state question. It's not a federal question. We're gonna allow the people of each state to decide that. That's all they said. Okay? So, and here you can see the disagreement between RPG and Scalia will be front and center. Is this a federal question or not? Right, so here comes the most interesting thing. Oh, by the way, this guy Greg, he is just trying to use my Chinese background to ask me to talk about Tibet and Hong Kong. Guess what, Greg? Uh, I I'd be more than happy to have a separate show about the uh, the geopolitical uh, issues. Okay. Uh, Trust me, I got a lot to say about Tibet and Hong Kong and uh, than, than you can ever imagine. But uh, like I said, you don't have to just send a little comment like that. You know, come up on the show and we can have a meaningful debate about the judicial white privilege. Uh, I, I hope that's does not make you depressed or, or, or feel bad about yourself. I'm not here against any white person. I'm just talking about the government, how democracy should work. So here comes the rescue of this issue. Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham has recently introduced a federal bill to ban abortion. Okay? So that makes me laugh, because he always come across as a very, again, I have nothing against the people from the South, but he always come up with a very, very low IQ person. I just, uh, including the way he, he dealt with Donald Trump. You know, the Donald Trump bashed him like literally treat him like a you know, a sudden low IQ redneck. Okay? That's I think how Donald Trump has treated Lindsey Grant. But this Lindsey Grant, his reaction, his doing is just totally baffles me. But no sure, other people's stupidity is our opportunity, right? So Lindsey Grant has come up with a federal abortion ban. That proves RBG's point that abortion is a federal issue, a federal question, not a state question. The very fact Lindsey Graham introduced this is to show that Dobbs' decision is wrong on its face. Meaning the U.S. Supreme Court should never throw this issue back to the state. Okay, I'm talking this legally, okay? Basically, this is a federal question. Because that's according to Lindsey Graham. If you look at Lindsey Graham's uh, federal abortion ban bill, which is uh, published on the New York Times, I'm going to show you the, uh, what is called, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the picture behind Lindsey Graham. He showed a picture of some developed worlds. he called it. All European countries, how they treat abortion. Okay? And it's hilarious. Uh, Oh, by the way, I should stop here. My my apology. I should uh, should end this segment by saying this. this. This segment, what I'm trying to talk about is this. First, the people's history of the 14th Amendment is the fact that U.S. Supreme Court is the place where the 14th Amendment were overruled by nine justices, or five or seven, whatever. Okay, The Dobbs' decision is a repeat of that practice of overruling the 14th Amendment. The second point I want to make in this segment is that Lindsey Graham's bill has proven that abortion is a federal question. Not a state question. Therefore, the Dobbs decision sending the, the the issue back to the state, it was wrong on its face, legally, not politically, legally. So I would actually, I, sure, yeah. Go, can ahead. I, go ahead. can I mm-hmm. push
1: can I push back because maybe it's because I'm not a legal mind and I'm just a lay person here, but it seems to me, if there's no federal law, then the court would be correct in saying this isn't a thing for the feds, but Lindsey Graham's bill being introduced, if that bill got passed, that would be a federal case it seems like. Am I correct. misinterpreting?
0: No, you are not misinterpreting at all. I actually okay. believe Lindsey, no, you are not. I actually believe Lindsey Graham is coming to the rescue for the women's rights advocates <laughs> because because right, right, that's
1: what it would do it does the opposite of it, banning it right it, it, it,
0: it, it, yes exactly because remember i have said this a current hipaa law will prohibit any health providers to disclose the uh, last menstrual period of a woman patient to any law enforcement authority if you read the hipaa law He says it's clearly, unless a court order a hospital or clinic to disclose that, unless, you know, it cannot be disclosed. So, uh, but guess what? Under worst circumstances, you can ask for another person's medical records. That person have to, in violation of a crime. So, unless a woman violated a federal criminal statute, no federal court will sign off a disclosure, forced disclosure order to find out what is that woman's last menstrual period. So without it, you cannot determine the gestational age of a fetus. Then you cannot enforce a state ban because there's a conflict between the federal law, called the HIPAA, and the state law, banning proportion. So, so so, in my opinion, the, the abortion issue is already a federal issue because of the HIPAA law. If Lindsey Grant decides to bring in this uh, federal abortion ban, the first thing the Congress have to do is to amend the HIPAA law, saying, by the way, the patient privacy is not that important for women because they will should be under the jurisdiction of the government. The government have to have the rights to know what's their LMPs and uh, at all time. And by the way, the federal government may impose other uh, penalties if these women smoke during the pregnancy or drink, or even drink coffee during the pregnancy. So you got a whole bunch of federal questions coming in here. And once again, you will make it very plain and simple that a women's privacy rights Oh those a uh, a federal question not a state question but go ahead
1: Amanda So so then my question becomes so there's so many judges that were appointed by Trump and so many right-leaning judges that people might in some states where it is illegal may come across a situation where there's going to be a judge that would say okay HIPAA doesn't apply in this situation because of this and then you've got a situation where you've got a woman in a situation she doesn't want to be in that now has to go to court to deal with all of exactly repercussions. It it, It just seems like, I mean, how does does Lindsey Graham's law not create another bite at the apple at the Supreme Court on abortion?
0: I did. Uh, in my past episode, I already said the Dobbs decision is going to invite a whole bunch of litigations, right? One of them is in Texas where a woman was uh, pulled over for violating the H O V lane uh, uh, rules, and she said, "Then uh, she called, told the cop, I was. I'm pregnant. I have another person in my belly, so I am driving a vehicle with a uh, multiple persons.' So he's." Con- She's contesting that, and another thing in Texas also is this: a woman, I think probably she had a, a medication induced abortion, but somehow went bad, so she had to be admitted to a hospital, and the hospital uh, uh, nurses paid probably, um, looked it up, and the, she we, the nurses reported this woman's situation to the law enforcement authority. So this woman got arrested, and uh, my question is this, how come this uh, hospital staff was not violating the HIPAA law by disclosing this uh, uh, patient's private records?
1: That's the thing. uh, I think that that you've got human beings that are going to violate this because of their own personal beliefs, and fuck the HIPAA—excuse my French. Screw the HIPAA law.
0: Exactly, there will be all this discussion. What I'm throwing out here again, I don't have a set opinion here per se. I'm just insisting on one thing: is that I think this is a federal question, not a state question. There's more why it's a federal question later on in my future episodes. Uh, just I'll give give it up a little bit. If a Mississippi believe a 15 month old fetus is is uh uh, uh, uh is, is the threshold? Uh, somehow uh, Alabama decided it's twelve weeks. Okay, can uh, Mississippi pregnant woman go to Alabama say, hey, this? Oh,
1: Peter, 12, 12, I lost sorry. you. Uh, you bro- you you broke up. You stopped right in the middle of your sentence. Can yes. you just go back a sentence? Yes, I apology. I got a, a incoming call, so
0: apology. So I'm going back to this scenario. If the one state say 12 weeks is the limit threshold, another state say the 15 week is the threshold. Can the 15? Uh, can the? How can a state treating fetus in a discriminatory way? In other words, are we supposed to have a universal standard about the threshold among fifty states, or can one state can say, okay, twelve weeks is the limit? The other state say it's fifteen weeks. It's once again, you know, it's playing that game during the slavery time when the Africans they try to move to the free state to claim their freedom. Okay, so I guess a younger fetus can should travel to a. different state, depending <laughs> on the, I'm being serious here, it's a lot, we it's, a do comedy, dis-
1: it's a comedy. We do ahead, discriminate, sorry. we do discriminate legally by age, I mean, if you're under 18, there's a lot of things you're not supposed to be allowed to do, if you're yeah, under yeah. 21, you're not allowed to drink, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of rules about age, and, and it's not like this is an unknown thing, just because it's less than a year in difference versus, you know, 18 to 21 to 65 or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So again, uh, this
0: segment is all about, is this really a state question? No, I think it's a totally a federal question. Okay, I don't believe you're so- Can I
1: just ask, I wanna make sure I understand. I think what Alito was saying in the decision was that this should be a legislative thing by state, right?
0: Exactly. Yes. They say, let oh. the people of the state to decide, right? Yes.
1: But the problem is that it's
0: not because you don't let the slavery issue go back to the state. <laughs> you know, that's
1: not going to work. It it's not going right. to work. Right. Actually, I think right? I have, so, I have a, I have a clip of a show that talks about that specific, that specific situation. And it's crazy. Let's go ahead It is. It, it
0: is. So now I'm going to talk about something that, uh, Amanda might not be happy about. So the next one is this. I'm still going back to this uh, Lindsey Grant's bill. Again, he's so like stupid that it just make it make my job so much easier. If you go to Lindsey Grant, he had a picture where he had a, let me go back to that picture. Uh, he had a, a three women st- standing behind him announcing this uh, his uh, federal abortion ban bill. And all that he li- he lists the f- six European countries. Basically, see, these are the other developed world countries. This is their abortion ban standard. Okay, if you look up a uh, you know the New York Times article on that. So he had France, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, Germany, and Spain. Okay, so. I want to go back to the title of this segment. I want to talk about is that are American women special? I think we American women are special because all Americans are special. Okay. What Senator Graham's bill first should one thing is that abortion is a federal issue. It's a federal question, not a state question. Dobbs' decision is totally wrong, need to be re reheard. Okay. Second, all the national flags that Graham is flying on his poster. I don't think the citizens in those so called developed countries have the rights to own firearms. Americans, it's under the constitution are entitled to own firearms for a reason. I will keep that reason very simple, because Americans are special people. Get it? Okay, I know every time there's a mass shooting, different countries will come out and say, how dare Americans allow this to happen? But yes, I mean, you like it or not, it's a fact, it's written in the Constitution. So American women can f- own firearms.
1: That's a right of them given. Written the in W- written in the Constitution and then interpreted by the Supreme Court over the years to get rid of that whole well-regulated malicious part.
0: Yes. The, the, ownership, the ownership by itself, it's a controversial issue. I accept that. It is a controversial issue. But uh, what I want to illustrate still is this, is that Americans are very, very special people. Because I'm going to be— uh, talk a whole lot more about it in the last episode of the about the Dobbs decision. Because it's going to take so much effort out of me to elaborate why actually the rights to abortion is already implied in the Constitution. Again, if this court, the U.S. Supreme Court, is so stupid they don't even, they cannot even decide that whether this is a federal question or state question or not, they will never be able to explain to you why women actually from the get go has implied rights towards abortion. Okay, so coming back to this, is that Lindsey Grant at least showed all six countries, European countries, developed or not, does not have a constitution say women can own guns. That actually would be considered a crime. For them to do that. On the reverse, is that in this country, we allow women to own guns, which would have been considered a crime in these six developed countries. But at the same time, Americans' women is not going to be allowed to have other freedoms and liberty. Is that somehow self-contradictory? So let that sink in. Okay, so I always want to emphasize, Americans are the most special creatures because of our constitution. When we have a Supreme Court so effed up, that is a crisis towards our democracy. So, so that to so that is my segment. Because guess what, I have just talked about these are all federally protected. Constitutional rights, right? So this is what I bring to this Dobbs decision. In this app, in the next segment, I want to talk Amanda to talk about this. What the ERA? Why does the ERA get started? When and for what reason? Because I want Amanda, if you could, just think about what I just said. Is that women can own guns, but they cannot have abortion? Is that some somehow? A federal question that should be addressed by the ERA is the ERA necessary, required, because otherwise the women's rights is some kind of a, in a some kind of a twilight zone, up for the grabs. All depends on you know how much alcohol these justices drunk drink they <laughs> actually you know. So, so the next segment we, is I want to talk about this. Can we get them
1: stoned so, instead? Maybe if we get them stoned instead, they'll be happier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the next
0: segment I will call it the ERA ratification. Why it can be a revolutionary campaign for women's equality rights? Right. So the the floor is yours, Amanda.
1: Okay. Thank you very much, Peter, and and I appreciate the context and the ability to, in this in this platform. So so the Equal Rights Amendment. And let me go back. An amendment requires. Passage through Congress and then ratification by three quarters of the states, which is 38 states. The Equal Rights Amendment was drafted in 1923. Yes, I did not stutter 1923, and it was introduced in Congress every session until it finally was passed in 1972. You heard that right. It took them nearly 50 years to get it through Congress. Then they sent it out to the states to ratify and they had added a deadline in the, in the not in the amendment itself, but in the passing documents, in the documents that made the resolution that passed the amendment to go to the states. It said that the states had until 1979 to ratify. Well, it looked like that 79 was gonna come and go without without the 38 states ratifying, so they extended it to 1982. And this deadline thing is the hang-up at the moment, because in 2017, Nevada ratified and became the 36th state to ratify. Then Illinois, Phyllis Schlafly's home state, who was famous for being against the ERA, they ratified in 2019. And in 2020, little old Virginia Virginia ratified. That gives us 38 states ratifying, and the only thing it says in in Section 5 about amendments going in is that as long as they get ratified by 38 states, there isn't a time constraint. In fact, recently, the 27th Amendment was just ratified, and I think that one was written almost 200 years ago. All of this to say, where are we today? Right now, We have met all of the constitutional requirements for it to be the 28th Amendment. And I don't think I've even read it. It's very short. And I think that's probably appropriate, if I can find it here. It is very, very simple. Where is it? What's coming up on the 28th, while I'm looking for that, What's coming up on the 28th of September is a hearing in the uh, D.C. District Court of Appeal about this deadline thing, because really what should happen is it should just become part of the ERA, I mean, the the Constitution. So why am I not finding it? Sorry, Peter.
0: Oh, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> we got time. I just want to. I'm to wanna... with my speed. <laughs> <laughs> we only at twelve o'clock.
1: <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> but, okay, okay. So I'm just I'm just pulling it up so that I've got because I want to read it to you because it isn't like complicated. It's pretty damn simple. It's it's a. Um, it's, it would. There's a bunch of other details that go, that were going on. Since, since 2021, Virginia ratified that we're all basically just ridiculous screw-ups and trying to block it, including a letter from Attorney General uh, Attorney General Bill Barr at the end of the Trump administration saying that it shouldn't be um, published as part of the Constitution. And Merrick Garland has not yet. Done anything to overturn that decision. There are some legal uh, isn't, scholars. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, isn't that a great opportunity for Merrick Garland to actually
1: do something about this? One would think. One you would know, think. But I think yeah. he won't do uh-huh. it because there's this court case on the twi- and it was set for September 28th, only a couple of weeks ago. They set the panel of judges. Uh-huh. So I agree. The other thing is there's some legal scholars and ERA supporters who say that Biden could just tell the National Archivist to add it. That if uh-huh. Biden were to write a letter, that would be mm-hmm. that would be that. And uh-huh. and the argument against that is that the president is not supposed to have anything to do with constitutional amendments being added. Mhm. Okay. And okay. I don't know if that's in the constitution or if that's a legal scholar you know assessment of the situation. So here's what the amendment says. There's three sections. The first section is the important one. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That's it. And then the section two is, gives pa- Congress the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article and Section 3, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So, Virginia ratified in January January 27th of 2020, which means it should have become the amendment of January 27th, 2022. That did not happen because of this lawsuit filed that it shouldn't be published because of the expiration date. If you're interested in get at all in getting into those details about the court case, um, please feel free to message me through the app or um the the e r a coalition has a really good site um, It would be great if we could get this done before twenty twenty then it will have only been a hundred years since it was first introduced into Congress that we got this one added to the Constitution. Well, Is there I've... anything, and, and as yep, it relates on. to Dobbs, it mm-hmm. it it gives another potential opening for bringing cases about restricting abortion because it 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 has this angle where before there was no uh, nothing specific in the Constitution that that speaks to non discrimination related to sex. So. Yeah. There are smarter legal scholars than me that know how that hook might help get another hearing. There's nobody to appeal to after the Supreme Court makes their decision.
0: Yes, that's actually another interesting case uh, if this thing uh, go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Because uh, as I mentioned earlier, the 14th Amendment by its own origin only covers the black people, period. It does not cover anyone else. And uh, when RBG uh, told uh, Nina Totenberg when RBG was uh, still a law professor that she believed it, the 14th Amendment covers the equality rights of women, that can be called a judicial interpretation of the 14th Amendment, right? There still just tells you that there will be ambiguity out there when it comes to the equality rights for women, right? So to me... Especially, you know, since the the Dobbs decision, uh, you know, again, I believe it's a horrible, horrible decision, not because of the color of the skin of the justice. It's not about the, uh, as Justice Roberts said, it's about uh, uh, some kind of illegitimacy of the Supreme Court. It's all about the Supreme Court does not follow the law. Right. So with that said, you know, the ERA now all of a sudden, in my opinion, become the linchpin for what's gonna happen next. No, so go go ahead. I don't mean to cut you short.
1: Oh no, I think I think and and I'm not a lawyer and I listened to a podcast um yesterday called Citizens Guide to the Supreme Court, who are lawyers who hate being lawyers. <sighs> who do a podcast about the Supreme Court for normal people like me. And they were talking about the difference between substantive due process and procedural due process and that the ERA could possibly provide a more, could bolster the substantive due process. And again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not sure. I kind of understood it as they were explaining it, but I wouldn't be able to explain to somebody else. The more interesting thing that I thought they talked about was this thing that because it's pushed back to the states, and this is the same thing that I thought at the time when it, when the decision came out, because people were saying, well, that means that the states will make their own laws, so that means we've, we're back to states' rights, and you could go from one state to the next and have no idea what the actual laws are because they're so inconsistent across states. And what does that make our country, what does that lead to in the long run is is a is something more like a confederation of uh, like more like the eu but but with worse governing bodies and structures i mean i don't know what that looks like do you have you thought about that at at all i'm just curious
0: yes i did i oh again because this greg uh guy always want get want me to talk about the something just outside of ig- the Just, igno- of
1: just the ignore him, him, just ignore
0: him, yeah, I understand. just ignore but I want to go back to ERA is this. Uh, it will be interesting if it, this thing started 100 years ago because it just shows what I talked about in the, uh, just two episodes ago, I called it the strategic ambiguity of the legal status of the racial minorities in the United States. There is always a strategic uh, ambiguity, legal ambiguity in front of the court. From the Dred Scott, basically the court says, Dred Scott is uh, is not a citizen of the United States. Therefore, he has no standing to sue for his freedom in front of the court. That's the standing, right? And uh, and, uh, in the insular cases, basically the Supreme Court says, well these people in Puerto Rico they're citizens of the United States but they're um, there's ambiguity about exactly whether they have the full citizenship of the United States therefore it's okay for the US government to treat them in a discriminatory way right so this women's legal status there's still law saying that whether women is a, a full, and equal citizenship of the United States, because after the, all, the Declaration of Independence, as the original Constitution, they are be, made by white men, for white men. It's true, right? So there's oh you know. This era just shows that there is clearly an uh, ambiguity, as, as far as uh, a whole bunch of legal scholars. Political leaders and women's groups are concerned. There is an ambiguity about the full and equal citizenship of women in this country. So if this is not a state uh, not a federal question, as the Dobbs decision has said that, that it needs to go back to state, then yes, the u s Supreme Court is suggesting the u s United States is like the European Union which I completely disagree because I think the European Union, I never believe it's going to last long because of the two world wars was fought in Europe. And the third one, I consider the Ukrainian war is the third one, is happening now in Europe. They are never going to get along with each other because they don't have a, a federal law require them to get along with each other, unlike America. America, there are federal law. Literally, say, you know, the state, state with state have to play nice. If not, then a court, a federal court, will decide that. So, so, so I hope that's you know to the extent that I can comment about the European Union. But going back is that this era effort lasting one hundred years just shows that there's remains an ambiguity of women's full and equal citizenship under the constitution, and the dobbs decision just you know proves this ambiguity one more time
1: can i can i make <clears throat> I just want to make a, a an observation that that you know it, if if Republicans want to control women's bodies so much. Why don't they give us health care? Then they can deny whatever procedures they want to deny.
0: Yeah, that that will make it another federal question. Right? It will just make it another federal question. Because to me, if you make healthcare a pretty much a a universal benefit that most people nowadays believe, you know, if not entitled. Two, but at least everyone should have, the government should provide, either by state or by the federal government. So, like I always said, if HIPAA is the law, what state law can override HIPAA demanding the last menstrual period of a women patient? There's no law required the hospital to give that. It's almost like uh, we're going to ask the uh, 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 priests and pastors from the church to provide all the incriminating evidence to establish probable cause to prosecute the crime that the, the parishioners has confessed. That just doesn't make sense, right? So, so you know, hey, that's how I- Peter, do you, yeah, can you,
1: can hmm. you, I, I keep hearing people say that that Roe v. Wade wasn't really about privacy. Is that a way that it used to be kind of explained about what it was? I don't I don't understand because HIPAA obviously is something to do with privacy, so I'm I'm just can you? I don't know I yes, don't even I'm, know if that's I'm, a, a yes, question I'm, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate your question. I'll tell you, you ask this question that will bring up some points I intentionally left out, but now I can talk about it. Uh, if you look at the YouTube, you Google Dershowitz Alan Dershowitz. Uh, about Roe v. Way. he has said a long time ago, Roe v. Way was decided incorrectly, not because of its conclusion, but its appro- the, the approach. And I agree 100% with uh, uh, him here. Roe v. Way is decided by a Supreme Court. N- none of the justices are women. They are all men. Like I said before, you can never trust a all white bench to decide a slavery issue, period. I'm never going to, as a Chinese, I'm never going to trust a court made of a non-Chinese to decide a Chinese case, okay, on the 14th Amendment. So the, the Roe v. Wade court, in my opinion, they conclu- their conclusion is correct. And I do believe it's a privacy issue, which I'm going to talk about in the last episode for Dobbs' decision. It's, again, all about women's rights, their privacy rights. Again, if women can carry guns in this country, they probably can say whatever they want to do with their own body because they actually can carry guns to shoot people. Okay, so going back to the things that Roe Wade put the entire country on a slippery slope called the vitality test. Because again, these are the guys, okay? They're just talking, guys talking to each other. The vitality test itself is, in my opinion, is off the table.
1: The viability. The viability.
0: viability. Yeah, the viability. Because because, uh, now you are talking about, you're doing doctor's talk, biological talk now. But you have to first talk about this. Do you actually have the right to talk about the private issue at all? Which I'm going to elaborate on, um, because that's why I said the last episode for Bob's decision is the most difficult one to me, is to explain why within the Constitution, we already have said each person, unfortunately, of course, that person usually is a man at the time of the Constitution was made and Declaration of Independence was declared. A person, they are all men. They have a highest authority to their own affairs. The government are prohibited not to intervene. So if a government, including a court, not just the police, not just the lawmakers, are off limit to a private matter, then none of those viability tests should be conducted. But unfortunately, Roe v. Wade stick this slippery slope into the mentality of the entire America. So every time you get on this slippery slope, you have only one direction to go. Where there should have been a stop. Right there saying, are we talking about some private matters that are entirely to another person? Why I As a person has no rights to infringe upon, let alone a government, that is, you know, the the core of a rights in America. Unless you declare women are not intended to be full and equal citizenship in this country, under the Constitution, then you can buy your viability test. You can do all kinds of things. Right. So, by the way, you know, this, again, it runs as a joke. I've always said I'm very apolitical. I don't give a shit about politicians. I always felt this way. Look at the three women standing behind Lindsey Graham when he introduced the federal abortion ban. We should give a form, a legally binding form to all these women who support abortion ban. Declaring that their private information, medical information, are open to the public for examination. Because for some reason, they believe their rights can be surrendered in their own conscience with a clear mind to the government. So that the government can look into their last menstrual period information. And we, the other people, decide say no. The government will never be given that right to my private information, period. Okay, because that's a free choice for anyone who want to ban abortion. Go ban abortion yourself. Apply that law towards yourself. Don't apply to others. The same thing with the taxation. You know, the blue, the blue side, more taxation. The red side, no more taxation. Well, just have a two forms for IRS, from IRS. 1040 blue form ten forty red form. Okay. Whoever want to pay more taxes, we respect your rights to pay more taxes. Go ahead do it. use the other form. So 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 so, so the, the the bottom line is this that the ERA because back to your ally, Amanda, is that ERA if enacted, ratified, will permanently eliminate this I call the strategic ambiguity of a women's full and equal citizenship under the Constitution. So that's why... mm -hmm, Go ahead. You know, until
1: 1978, getting pregnant could get you fired. And you couldn't have a credit card if you were a woman until 1974. Yep. You couldn't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. You could not keep your job. They could just flat out fire you for getting pregnant because you got pregnant. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's mm-hmm. insanity mm-hmm. Th- because we've come a long way since those days, but have we really come that far? Mm-hmm. Yep. People feel like, well, the women are equal, but until you try to actually do something and then you realize maybe not. Mm-hmm.
0: But my ultimate question for you and Amanda is this. Do you believe this ERA ratification can become a revolutionary campaign for women's equality rights?
1: Thank you. I hit the wrong I hit the I hit the leave speakers instead of the mute. Um, That's okay. So anyway, um, So could you need to ask your question again cuz my headphones were going bonkers and I couldn't hear
0: No you. problem. Because uh, my ultimate question for you is this, Amanda, is that does the ERA ratification can be used as a revolutionary campaign? Because you do yes. crowdsourcing revolution for, yes. to finally end this uh, ambiguity for women's equality rights.
1: Yes. And I have to say, poetically, strategic ambiguity is probably one of the most beautiful legal terms that I've ever encountered to this point <laughs> because it is a beautiful <laughs> phrase you know it's just it's so bouncy and poetic and in and, and in and in conflict with what it actually means the way that it sounds to yep, me. Yep. sorry yep, yep, sorry yep. that's the, that's the etymologist <laughs> in me coming out my bad um no I, no I, no I think you, that- this is no it's just- uh-huh. Go ahead. So Go ahead. what? What the ER? So what the ER? What passage of the ERA publication to the Constitution? Now some people say that it's already in, enacted; it just hasn't been published because it's gotten all the thirty-eight states. But that's what this. Mm-hmm. That's what this um, oral arguments start in the DC in the U.S. Court of District Court of Appeals for DC with a three-panel judge, uh, three judge panel, not a three-panel judge. That's a different thing. Um, people interested should should look up the case of F-E-R-R-I-E-R-O, Ferrero, uh, versus Illinois or the uh, illinois would be a good one to look up. So the three judges were named um, kind of recently. And just for the record, since this is going to be recorded, the judges are Robert Wilkins, who was appointed by Obama, uh, Naomi Rao, R-A-O, who was appointed by Trump, and J. Michelle Childs, who was appointed by Biden. This is Judge Childs' first panel as a D.C. Circuit judge. Oral argument on September 28, 2022. So I just wanted to put that information in there for you.
0: I appreciate it, I appreciate it, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, because I think my understanding is that the majority of Americans through the uh, uh, opinion polls, they actually do support the women's rights to choose. Some, yeah, yeah, well, some people, some people
1: think the ERA has already been passed some people think that it it, it it's too late and uh-huh. it would never be it would never be done so there's uh-huh. it it it's just a matter we are in election cycle we've got 6 weeks pressure your pressure your can, candidates in your district to support Uh uh-huh. mhm
0: mhm mhm great so uh, so i'm going to conclude uh, for today's episode again thank you uh amanda for accepting my invitation
1: absolutely
0: this is a fantastic. You know, I want to say this is that because uh, Justice Roberts just recently, like, again, he, you know, he said he, it's gut-wrenching to see the U.S. Supreme Court building was barricaded by those uh, fences and all that. You know, and we have seen women protesting in front of the courts. But the fact is this. When the judicial white privileges dis- destroys your constitutional protected rights, it's going to take a revolution to take back your rights, right? Like I said earlier, the 14th Amendment is a war amendment, meaning a nation fought a war losing 600,000 men. And you come up with this amendment and the Supreme Court quickly overturned the 14th Amendment. The fact that they brag about Brown v. Board of Education is ludicrous because Brown v. Board of Education is takes 75 years for the courts to correct its own mistake. And in between, the blacks has suffered irreparable losses. Now this overturning the 14th Amendment is applied to women. In the name of a state rights. state's rights. That's just, you know, just show how bad the Supreme Court is. Truly is. If RBG believe the 14th Amendment covers the women's equality rights, then it just means she believes it's a federal question. If Scalia saying it's not a federal question, then we can debate about it, right? So, you know, as uh, Justice uh, Kagan has said, we do have a serious problem today because the courts, like I has always alleged, Is frequently, almost always, being used as a political tool. I have said that it's a political tool for racial oppression, to justify those racial oppressions. Right. So you know, yes, we do have a problem in America. You know, when when the court has become unjust, then the street is the venue for justice. The barricade around the US Supreme Court is not to protect the court. In my opinion, it's there to insult the court. It is to show the world that, that we have this white majoritarian democracy in America, and so far it has been failing. Because you know, in my opinion, you know, it is really built on the white privilege, justified and sustained by the courts, by the judicial white privilege. You know, for the women who want to fight for their rights, the, the the revolution is the only way. You probably have to crowdsource a ERA ratification in the near future to end this strategic ambiguity on the equality rights for women. You know, in America. So, so that in that with that you know, that's pretty much all I want to say for today. Uh, Again, thank you, Amanda. Uh, This is great. We should do it again in the future. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening. And uh, have a great rest of your Sunday. All right. Goodbye now.